Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keithley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. Today we begin a brand new series titled, The Why of Grace, Part 1. A feast for your spirit. Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you with me this morning here at the Digital Cathedral. Hope you had a good week and uh, hope you're coming this morning ready to get into some things that I think are going to be helpful to you. You know, when I I come to the Digital Cathedral every week, during the week, I have about 20 things that I go, man, I, I really like to teach this. I don't have enough Sundays in a month to get to you everything that I'd like like to get to you. And I feel one of my major uh, assignments that the Father has given me is to encourage you and to challenge you in this reformation that is taking place around the world. And I know so many of you are involved in social media and you have friends that are around every continent of the world. It's amazing how this has connected us together. So I think that one of the things I need to do that I feel like I'm supposed to do is to just encourage you and to challenge you, especially in this message that we teach about a radical, pure, hyper grace. And I want to talk to you about that for a couple of weeks because I found in my life that radical grace, and when I talk about radical grace, I'm talking about grace that is free from any stipulations uh, and I'll get into some of that as I unwind this, but I differentiate between radical grace and a grace message that most churches proclaim because what they're really proclaiming is a mixed message of law and grace. I'm going to talk, I'm going to, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too early. I'm going to get into some of this, but I'm just, I just really want to encourage you about this message because it's the door opener to so many things. When I got a hold of this message of a pure grace, hyper grace, radical grace, however you want to term it, just so you understand, there's no there's no uh, restrictions on it. There's no boundaries on it. It is absolutely free from ensnaring us in law. It opened up a, a number of dimensions to me, and I'm just I'm going to hit real quick three of them, and I'm going to get into what I want to get into. But for me, when I when I when I got a hold of this message, first thing that really opened up was the fatherhood of God. I began to see it everywhere. I had never seen Ephesians 4, 6 in all my years of ministry, that there's one God and Father of all who's above all, through all, and actually in all. I I never really saw that. How could I miss that? And we we talked a couple weeks ago about Paul's engagement with the idol worshipers in Athens, and he embraced and pulled them into the fact that they were also children of God. So the fatherhood of God was one of the first things that really began to hit me. And the second thing was unconditional love. I was reared, always taught love, but there were conditions to it. When you obeyed God, when you uh, were um, dedicated, committed, that this love, of, that the love of God would begin to work and would have a say in your life. But we learned from Paul that nothing separates us from the love of God. Any actions that we do, whether it's positive or negative, have absolutely no effect on the love that God has for us. Then the third thing that began to unwind from me was inclusion, that he really is the God of all. The word all is the operative word of the gospel. Ne- never doubt that. If it, if it doesn't include everybody, it includes nobody. If Jesus didn't die and pave the way for all of us, he didn't die and pave the way for any of us. 
you know as well as I do, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, All died in Adam, even so shall all be made alive in Christ. Ephesians 1, 4 says that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, in Keithley paraphrase, it says that he had he's given us grace and salvation before time began. So that, that whole message of inclusion really began to open up for me. The difference between a grace message and evangelicalism, which most of us came out of, is pretty basic, pretty simple. Evangelicalism teaches what man must do in order to reach God, what man must do to become right with God, what man must do to secure his position for eternity. Grace, on the other hand, teaches everything that the Father accomplished through Jesus' death, uh, burial, resurrection, which you were co-crucified, co-raised with him. Grace teaches everything that the Father has done. There's no do in grace. It's all done. So it makes the message actually very, very different. Evangelicalism is based on man's effort. Grace is based on God's effort to reach man. Paul never gave up an inch on that message. Galatians chapter 2, and I'm going to read some scripture this morning as we go through this. Because I, I want you to really get secure in this, what, I want, what I want to teach this morning. And I want you to be challenged by it. And I want you to uh, feel secure in it. I think that's, that's what I would like to say. Ephesians chapter 2, let me just read verses 4, 5, and 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Here's Paul. He never gave an inch on this message. When he, when he got grounded, when Jesus talked to him in the wilderness for several years and gave him the revelation that he came back and dispensed to the Gentiles, Paul was firm about it. He says this, And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy on our liberty, which we have in Christ, that they might bring us into bondage in whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. So Paul is saying, we got this message. There were people came in with law that wanted to put us back in bondage, and we didn't give it any place. We didn't listen for a minute. We, did, we didn't give it uh, so much as a second thought. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favor to no man. That's, that's the grace message, right? For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, blah, 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 blah. So Paul said, look, this is the message I've got. This is what's going to the Gentiles. And we're not, we're not quitting. We're not backing up on this message whatsoever. Now, Paul, Paul did not have free sailing on this message of grace. I'm just getting you my introduction where I'm just laying some foundation here. Paul, Paul encountered tremendous opposition for this message of grace. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, he was teaching in a city and a lot of people began to follow him that were Jews. And the Jews ended, ended up turned around and stirred up everybody, caused Paul all kinds of problems in Acts chapter 13. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul goes through and says, man, 
Because of the gospel that I teach, I've been, I've been stoned, I've been beaten with rods, I've been run out of town, I've been shipwrecked out, spent a day and the night in the deep just bobbing up and down out in the ocean. Paul suffered tremendous pushback. So you begin to wonder, why, why did Paul hang on to this message? Wouldn't it have been a lot easier to just join forces with uh, Peter, James, and John and just put a little sprinkle of, you must be circumcised or you know, just a little bit of law in there. You got to pray the prayer. You got to be baptized. You got to do something. But Paul stuck to that message of grace, which is grace equals Jesus plus nothing. So I, I think Paul stuck with it. I stick with it. And I want you to stick with this message because there is no high <laughs> like the high the most high gives when you see somebody's eyes open to the gospel for the first time. That's, that is the greatest zing. That is the greatest high that I've ever experienced when I see people go, oh my gosh, I see it. I get it. I never, I never saw that before. It makes all the effort. All the opposition, all the pushback, worth it. And I think Paul must have enjoyed turning the light on more than anything else. And I think that he felt that he suffered and sacrificed and that that couldn't even balance the joy and the exhilaration that he had when he began to teach the Gentiles that Christ was in them. He, he received tremendous pushback, opposition, basically from two groups. And these two groups are still prevalent today. The first group that really gave Paul a hassle were the Jews. They were the, the, the law abiders. They had uh, 613 laws of Moses that they, they were trying to adhere to, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, all the C's. And they really gave Paul a hard time because they were not about to let go of the law. I would liken them to mainline denominations today. You know, they've got their fixed theology, they got their fixed system, and they're not about to let it go for anybody. And then there was the group called the Judaizers. This, this, this is where the real hassle comes from today for you and me. The Judaizers were people that said, "Yes, we accept Jesus. We believe in the finished work of the cross." But there's something you got to add to the finished work of the cross to actually finish it. And for them, it was circumcision. For us, it's praying the prayer. For us, it's baptism in water. You know, every little, every denomination or little group has their thing that they that they generally add that you yes, Jesus is enough, but this needs to be also observed to make sure that the whole thing sticks together. So almost 2,000 years since Paul was teaching this message, and we still get pushback from the Jews, the mainline denominational people, and those that teach a mixed message. And this mixed message, I want to, I want to warn you about this, man. This is, the most, this is the most dangerous obstacle we face. It's real easy to recognize when somebody's coming from a fundamental Baptist perspective or a Presbyterian or Catholic, but what really gets people snared is this mixed message. And everywhere Paul planted a church, the, the mixed message people would follow him and would try to uproot everything that Paul laid down. The, the mixed message is law plus grace. That's what the mixed message is. And the acid test of a real grace message is, is it free from law? Is tithing still being stressed? That you must tithe in order 
to, to really follow Jesus? Is tithing necessary for the disciples? See, and when you begin to weave those things in or praying the prayer this particular way or baptism in water by this method only, those things begin to transpire. You've just added to the gospel that Paul taught. Now here's the difference today than what within, in Paul's day. This mixture message has become so prevalent, has become so dominant that it is now the orthodox message. And when you come in with a pure, radical, hyper-grace message of grace plus nothing, that becomes the heretical teaching. Yet it's, it's exactly what Paul taught. Grace now is the heresy, and the mixed message is now the accepted message of the day. See, it's really another gospel presenting another Jesus. And I'll give you some scripture on that and give you some comments about what Paul said. See, it's, it's, but things are changing. I will tell you that. That's why I'm glad you're here at the Digital Cathedral. I'm going to address that as we go along this morning. Things are changing. They're not changing so much in churches. They're not changing in denominations. They're changing among people. People that are scattered all over the planet. Have you noticed that? You're connecting with people in Europe. Or if you're in Europe watching this, you're connecting with people in Africa. If you're in South Africa and watching, you're connecting with people in America. There's like this network of people all over the globe now that are beginning to see exactly what you see. I said I wanted to encourage you. I want to challenge you this morning. And the encouragement and the challenge is this. With all of the pushback that we face, with all of the people that try to argue us out of our position of pure grace, inclusion, unconditional love, God the Father of all, no question about it, with all the pushback that we get today, why do we continue to live this message? Why do I continue to minister grace week after week? It'd be so much easier just to go back into what we used to do and be accepted by I, if I If I put the word out that I have repented of my radical grace, my inclusion, my unconditional love, no hell message, if I've repented of that, I tell you what, I would be welcomed, I would be embraced, I would be invited all over to share my repentance. So if we really believe this message, why, why do we continue? What, what, what's holding on to us? Paul, I think, addresses that in Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read a couple of verses out of Ephesians 3. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and verse 7 and 8. I haven't gotten to what I want to get to this morning. Just stick with me. Paul says in Ephesians 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. How that I, by revelation, he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand in my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. All right, now down in verse 7. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace which God gave to me by the affecting working of his power. Verse 8, one more thing. To me who am less than least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's why Paul did it. Paul said it was, a, it, it was a message that was given to him by revelation. 
Paul said, my mission, my call is to go to the Gentiles and let them know Christ in them, that that it has been a mystery, it has been hidden, but now it's being revealed through the revelation that I'm giving. I want to give you some reasons this morning, and this is going to take this week and next week. I want to give you some solid reasons why you should continue to live this message and teach this message. Some of you teach home groups, some of you teach Bible studies. But the basic way that you teach this message of grace is through the lifestyle that you live in front of everybody. You don't judge. You know, no man after the flesh. You accept all into the body of Christ. You know that those that are acting up don't know their true identity, right? So all that is covered in the message of grace. So why why should we continue to do this? When it would be easier just to say, look, I, I don't know. Maybe I've missed it. All right, here's why, here's why you need to continue teaching if you teach or live it out if you're, you're a disciple of this message because you teach it with your lifestyle. So number one reason is because God has assigned it to you and has appointed to you the task of living this message of a radical, pure grace. I don't know why he chose you. I, I meditate on it sometimes. I say, God, why did what? What caused you in this city of Houston, Texas, with hundreds of churches, hundreds of pastors, why did you pluck me out of what I was doing and pull the, pull the veil off of my eyes and enable me to see what I had never seen in, at that point, 35 years of being a pastor? I pastored another 15 years teaching this message. But why, why did I go 30, why did you all of a sudden pluck me out? And he, he reminded me, he said, well, what is this gospel of grace? What is this, this message that I have assigned to you that you teach at the digital cathedral that those who come every week faithfully support what, support what you're doing on a monthly basis? A few do. What is that, what is that message of grace? Grace is everything that the Father accomplished through Jesus the Son. And he accomplished it for one reason. It was out of his unconditional love and unmerited kindness to bring us into a loving relationship with himself. He did everything, leaving us absolutely nothing to do except to say thank you. That is the only only thing I can bring to the table. Thank you. This message of grace is everything that the Father did for each of us through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And he did it simply out of his unconditional love, which if you've been hooked into this message, you've gotten a revelation of that unconditional love. You see it. You're experiencing it. And it's it's doing something within you that you've never experienced before. He did it out 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 of his unmerited kindness to bring us to recognize we have this loving relationship with him and there is nothing left for us to do. There's no part of the message that you have to complete and all you can do is throw your hands up and say, Father, thank you. The, me- the, the, the mission was this. Paul had insight about it. The apostles had insight to it on some level. The mission was this. And he selected you to do it. Now, why did he select you? Watch this. I'm going to tell you what the mission was in just a minute, but let me just just address 
you for a minute. I want to encourage you this morning. All right. Second Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter one, first Corinthians chapter one. If you're, if you've ever questioned God, why in the heck did you put your hand on me? Why'd you call me out of that church that was, that was preaching a little bit of grace? I mean, grace is on the front door of hundreds of churches, thousands across the country. But they're not teaching grace or teaching a mixture. They're teaching law and grace. So why did he pluck you out, give you a revelation of grace, which led you to understand the fatherhood of God, inclusion, unconditional love? And I'll take, take three more things next week that it has shown us. Because the revelation gets deep, it gets strong, and it begins, to, it begins to spread out and seeing other things. Why did he pick you? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I like this a lot. For you see your calling, brethren, that many, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. See, if, if you, uh, many of you have come through life and you said, man, my life doesn't seem like it has been worth anything. It's, I haven't accomplished a lot. I'm, I have no notoriety. I have no education. You're just the one the Father's looking for. Did you hear what he said? Not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. What he's empowering you to do is, is to ask simple questions, maybe, or just to live a lifestyle that those that are all bound in religion are going to observe and are going to ask questions. Or if they ask you a question, I notice you don't come to church anymore. Why don't you come to church? He's going to give you an, an answer that will spur their interests. Or if you're still within the confines of the building, he's going to give you a word to share that will begin to open up the understanding of people. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Verse 29, but no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom. So he's taking all these people that had no accolades, no degrees, no pedigree, and he's saying, I became for you. I became your wisdom. I became your righteousness. I became your sanctification. I became your redemption. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. He became those things for us. That it is as written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So for some reason, God selected you. I want you to accept that this morning. Right? I'm, I'm encouraging you. Just accept that. And I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you with what that acceptance is going, to, is going to bring. Here's what it's going to bring. It's going to bring the, the ministry of reconciliation, which, um, what is it, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and has given to us, not imputing men's trespasses to them, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the life you live. You live the, 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 the life, the ministry of reconciliation. You walk this out in front of people. So wh what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? What's encompassed in this ministry of reconciliation that you have that is the door opens and you don't have to kick doors down. Let the doors open. What is it that you can share with people? All right, five, five things. This ministry of reconciliation. This is all still the first point. Why do we continue to live this message? Because God selected you and God appointed you. 
And if you look at your life and you say, I don't have much to offer, you're just the one God's looking for. So what is, what is encompassed in this ministry that he said he has given to you? That's the only ministry I want. I don't need to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I want to be a minister of reconciliation and carry that word to people that are looking for it. So what's encompassed in that message? Let me give you five quick things. I got to hurry this morning. First of all, we can tell people that they are forgiven of all their sins for all time. Sin is a moot point. You don't, you don't worry about sin. Sin is not an issue. See, the evangelical church needs to repent. They need to change their mind. They insist that you ask forgiveness, that you bawl and squall and beg God to forgive you of your sins. One week you go to the evangelical church, they teach on 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. They you got to confess, you gotta, you got to rummage up. And I remember, man, many times, especially as a, as a young guy, young preacher, I would say, man, I, don't, I hope I remembered them all. What if I forget some of them? Right? So, I would, so then you begin to say, God, forgive me for the sins I don't remember. <laughs> right? that's, that's what the evangelical church keeps you under a bondage of sin, sin conscious. One week you hear 1 John 1, 9. Next week you come in and you hear Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. He remembers your sins and transgressions no more. So what is it? See, that's, that's mixing grace Hebrews 8, 12, he remembers your sins and your transgressions no more. That's mis mixing that with 1 John 1, 9. So what, what is it? Paul clears it up. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says, He has delivered you from the power of darkness and has translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. So when I have the opportunity, one of the things I like to express to people is, hey, you don't have to worry about sin from the Father's perspective. Now, does that mean we can just go live any way we, we want? Of course not. There is, there, is, there is a repercussion to the decisions we make. But it has nothing to do with judgment from the Father, and that's part of the message of reconciliation. Second is this. We need to let people know they're free from all laws. There's no law that has you hindered, no law that has you bound any longer. Right? Absolutely no law, especially church laws. Those are the toughest ones that men, men just made up, maybe under a right motivation at one time, to help you to live a godly life. But it boils down to law. Romans chapter 10, verse 4 says that Jesus has set us free from the law. To every person that believes, you're no longer under the law. So now you just have to act on that, that I'm not under the law. I don't live under the law. I, I have liberty. All right, third thing is this. They can call God Father because we have the spirit of sonship that abides in us, right? They are sons. They are daughters of God. We can call him Abba. If you're comfortable, call him Daddy. Call him whatever you like. We're part of the family. We've been accepted in. We have the spirit of sonship, of adoption that has been placed on us. Number four, part of the message of reconciliation is letting people know they don't have to fear eternal punishment anymore. The Father is not going to eternally punish him. He does not have a, a, a customized torture chamber to throw you into that you will burn forever. That is such a, hell is an illusion. It, it, is, it is the biggest misconception. It just, it just bothers me. That's why I wrote Hell's Illusion. After I researched it, I go, how could, how could we be grasping this? See, God, 
they they try to tell us he we got to we got to repent. There's there's a threat of eternal conscious torment if you don't forgive all getting forgiven of all your sins and accept him. Doesn't come by beating people. Romans two four says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We never taught the goodness of God to lead to repentance. We were hardcore on things. Wanted more consecration. Wanted more dedication. More sacrifice. Right? They can know with assurance that we are forgiven, we are accepted, we're, and we're loved beyond measure. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's what you have been called and assigned to carry. Now, you don't have to stand on the hood of a car down to 7-Eleven and proclaim that. You just go about doing good and setting free all that are oppressed from, from mental torment, the devil anguish, separation. Those five things help people to understand their connection. So with all the pushback, with all the adversity, all the friends I've lost, all the pastors who ignore me, why do I continue this? Because I've been called to do it. I've been appointed to do it. You've been called and you've been appointed. All right, second of all, second reason we stick with this message is because it's the truth of the gospel. All right? Without grace, apart from this radical, pure grace, there is no gospel. Apart from grace, you have the wrong Jesus. You have what Paul called another Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You have a Jesus that is distorted. Here's the problem with another Jesus and another gospel. I taught the wrong Jesus and the wrong gospel for 35 years of pastoral ministry. And here's what it does. Here, I didn't mean to do this, but here's what it does. When you have a distorted view of Jesus and you're presenting a mixture message of law and grace, you know what it does? It in turn presents a distorted view of the Father. So when you have a Jesus that's different than what the Gospels present, it's, it's reflected in a distorted picture of the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, you can read it for yourself. Paul said, you know what? We got this other Jesus. We got this other gospel floating around. Let me tell you how you can identify another Jesus. You can read the scripture for yourself. Let me just be very proud. How can you recognize another Jesus? You watch a teaching on television. You go to a church. You go to a French church. How can you recognize if it's, if it's a right Jesus or a wrong Jesus? All right. Another Jesus is a Jesus that failed to complete the mission that the Father sent him to complete. Let me say that again. Another Jesus is a Jesus that failed to fully complete the, the mission the Father sent him to, to fulfill. What was that mission? Jesus said it in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For this purpose, for this purpose I came. Right? Luke chapter 19 and 10. He came to seek and to save, two parts to that verse, not just seek, seek and save that which was lost. Anything that felt disconnected, anything that felt separated, he came to awaken to the union that we have with the Father. All right? Another Jesus um, didn't say it's finished. Another Jesus said, it's finished, I did my part, now you have to do your part. See, that's not, that's not the right Jesus. 1 John chapter 4 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 
Another Jesus did not destroy the works of the devil. And that's why you have to go into spiritual warfare and cast and bind and bring down and fast and pray and push in and call the prayer chain because Jesus didn't finish the job. So you have to do it. Another Jesus didn't say it is totally entirely finished. He said, I did my part. Now you've done your, you have to do your part. Jesus said this, John chapter four. Let me, let me read this. And I want to, I'm trying to give you enough scripture this morning so that you can become immersed in it, that when you need to call on a scripture, if you've meditated and thought about this, you'll have, you'll have an arrow to pull out of your quiver. All right. John chapter four and verse 34. Here we go. Jesus said, my food is to, listen, this is very important. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish that work. What they don't tell you down the church house is that he finished it. So they're presenting another Jesus. See, how's, a, how's another gospel portrayed? How's another gospel portrayed? Paul tells us in, in Galatians chapter 3, that when you've got another gospel, you've got another Jesus. You, they, the two go together. You can't separate them. He says, you foolish Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 1. I'll just, I'll just read for time's sake the first three verses. You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, finished. Verse 2. This only do I want to learn. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? See, at a, a mixture church, they will bring you in by grace. Then he asks the question in verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? This is exactly what happens in the church world. Come just as you are. But as soon as you come, then we have the laws for you. So the question is, see, another Jesus, another gospel brings you in one way, then what you're in, it tries to perfect you through the action of law. That's what a mixture message does. Now, the right Jesus. So when you, when you are encountering a wrong Jesus and a wrong gospel, it, it's going to present Jesus in a way that you have to do something to receive what he already finished. It's crazy when you think about it. It's another gospel when there is something added to the Christ in you plus nothing. Right? Now, the right Jesus and the right gospel, the one Paul got persecuted for, will always teach that you have a right standing with God apart from religious rules and additives. That you have been made, we just read it. He's been made unto you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Nothing you did during it. No additive that you put to it, all right? The right Jesus and, an, and the right gospel will allow you to rest. It'll allow you to feel totally secure in what the cross fully accomplished and the resurrection gave witness to. I felt, I never felt, there was always a degree of insecurity till I hit grace. Always wondering if I'd done enough, I'd done the right things, right? The only way to fall from grace is not sin. 
Only way to fall from grace, Paul said, I think it's in Galatians 5, he said, is put yourself back under the law. See, when you go back under law, there's no grace because you're trying to perfect yourself by the law. The law kryptonites grace. As far as, far as your life is concerned, it doesn't kryptonite it from God's per perspective. He's already poured it out. He's already, he's already looked at all of humanity and put them all in disobedience so he can have mercy and pour out grace on all. all right? Number three. It's the last one I'm going to give you this morning. The reason that we continue with grace is so that it might <clears throat> remain with you here. I might have time for one more. We'll see. <clears throat> so that it might remain. I have, so many, I have friends, I don't know how many, they got this message, got a hold of it, and have left it. And they've left it for one of two reasons. Seems like it boils down to this. Grace is replaced or crowded out by something else. Paul said in Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7, he said, I I'm amazed. I'm blown away by the fact, this is my paraphrase, that you have left so quickly the grace that called you into this liberty that you have in Christ Jesus. Now here's what happens. Here's what I've observed. Sometimes people talk you out of your position. Talk you out of, they debate you back in bondage. They throw so many scriptures at you that are the uh, gotcha scriptures, the exceptions to the rule that you, you bend. You're not rooted in this enough, right? And so you fall back into it. You go back into the law, and so you have left grace. You're back into Egypt. You've left the promised land. You've left the journey. You've headed back to Egypt. And I'm telling you, I know it's easy to do at first. Most of you that are here at the Digital Cathedral, you're entrenched in this enough that you ain't going back. Nobody can pull you back. But when you first come into this message, here's, here's what went through my mind. I can remember clearly. All the other staff pastors, I had, I think, five pastors at the time on, on staff full-time. They all came to me and said, man, you have fallen in error. This is, this is not true. You're teaching error, heresy. Right? When, when you have worked with people and they're your friends for 20 years or so, you begin to question yourself. Right? So many people just get pulled back in. If Father hadn't kept nurturing me in the message, <clears throat> I might have succumbed. There were times, I, I'll be honest with you, I took one step forward, two steps back. So there was a day that I knew that I knew that I knew that what I was doing was absolutely right, absolutely in the favor of the Father, and I never looked back. Right? The second thing that happens to people that I've observed is they think they outgrow grace. So they moved off into a bunch of other hogwash. You never outgrow grace. Ephesians 2.7 says that it's going to take the ages to come for the Father to reveal to us, listen, the depths and the riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. You can't outgrow this thing in two, three, four years. People think they've plummeted to the depths. We've already discovered grace is the highway that led us to unconditional love. Grace is the highway. There was an exit where we begin to see the fatherhood of God. Grace was taking us. We exited at one point and saw the inclusion of all men. But we always got back on the grace highway. Grace is the root. Grace is the fundamental. Grace is the road we need to stay upon. I've seen people that just think they've outgrown it. They've moved beyond grace. They're now off into other things. They're out in all manner of things. Right? 
I, I don't know how anybody thinks they can graduate from grace in three or four years when Paul clearly said it's going to take the ages to come for us to get this message. The entirety of it. The Father is so full of Jesus. In John chapter 1 verse 14, it says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth are running buddies. They're first cousins. They're joined together at the hip. Truth flows out of grace. And grace reveals more truth. So when you, when you hit more truth like the fatherhood of God, inclusion, unconditional love, and I'll, I'll mention three more exits we've taken off the grace highway that have become embedded within us. I just want you to see this morning that the reason we continue to live this message and live it boldly and strongly like Paul said in Galatians 2 that we opened the teaching with is because other people need to get roots down and they're watching you. If you flake off into something else, there's a lot of, a lot of things you can flake off into. It's going to bring an inconsistent message to the life of people. Right? Grace upon grace. It's one helping the other. Truth helps grace. Grace helps truth. So you're not going to outgrow it. You're not going to come to a place where you're beyond grace. And I am encouraging you and challenging you so nobody will pull you back into the, to the crab pot. You know, crab climbs up, another crab reaches up and brings it back down. That's, that's what happens sometimes. All right? I think I got time for one more. Here's why I continue to teach grace, live grace, and why I want you to minister this message of reconciliation through your lifestyle. I want you to hold on to it. Don't back up. Number five is because grace, radical, pure, hyper grace, changes people. It has changed this old boy looking at you this morning, radically. When I started teaching this message, I saw people change in areas that they had worked on in the flesh for 10, 20, in some cases, all their adult life to get out of. And they could not spiritually pull themselves up by the bootstraps through their discipline, commitment, dedication, confession. They could not escape what they were in. But when grace hit them, see, grace is that divine influence that produces an effortless change. When people begin to rest in this message, fall back into the arms of a father who loves you unconditionally, all of a sudden they looked at their life and change took place and they didn't even realize it. I saw change take, pl take place in me in places I didn't even realize it at first until one day I looked at it. See, this is the only message. And look, I've been down the road with, with many things. I've been, through the, I've been through the deliverance phase, the discipleship phase, uh, uh, the word of faith. I mean, in every decade, there was like this emphasis that hit the body of Christ. And I got in tune. I, I studied, went into it. I was in word of faith for a long time. I learned a lot of good things in word of faith. There was a lot of abuse. There were things that weren't right. But I learned a lot in word of faith. I learned about confession. I learned the power of faith. I learned a lot. But it didn't change me in many areas. Grace has. See, grace has the power to change. Watch what Paul says. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to start landing this bus in a couple minutes here. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. 
He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law was in the world, sin was not. But now notice what he comes down. I'm going to come down to verse 17. For if by the one man's offense, verse 17, Romans 5, for if by one man's offense death reigned through this one, much more. If, 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 death, if death had a hold of us, if we are eating over here to tree the knowledge of good and evil, which is the way I look at sin, it's doing your own thing. It's not, it's not drinking, smoking, cussing, chewing, running with folks that do all that. No, that's not sin. Sin is when you continually go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you chart your course based upon what your physical senses are feeding you or what logic says. Gets us in a heap of trouble. That tree always leads us down the wrong path. If that's where we've been, then the rest of that verse says, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So when this abundance of grace comes into our life, this pure, radical, hyper-grace, apart from law, apart from works, apart from flesh effort, it enables us and it empowers us to reign in life, living the abundant life, the life Jesus Christ promised to bring to us. See, we persist with this message because it bears fruit. It's bearing fruit all over the planet right now. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something this morning. Does believing in this message, does, does preaching, practicing, sharing grace, the unconditional love, fatherhood of God, inclusion, great big Jesus, does it carry a price tag? You bet it does. It probably will for you. Some of you already experienced it. Now, you, might, you probably aren't going to be stoned. They're not going to grab you down to the church and stone you like they did Paul or beat you with rods. You're not going to go all through that Paul went physically, but you may lose friends. Has that happened to you yet? You feel like the Lone Ranger out there? You may lose friends. People that haven't seen the depth of what you're talking about. But I've, here's what I've experienced. The new people that you meet, whose eyes have been opened and will help open yours farther, people that you encounter around the world hearing the same echo, bring a joy to you like you've never experienced. I've met, I've met the greatest guys. I'll tell you for sure. I used to have a little circle of pastor friends. But I tell you, people like Steve McVeigh, Malcolm Smith, you know, we're, we're doing a conference, the three of us. It's a, so much fun. Baxter Kruger, Francois, all those guys. I call them friends because we've, we've rubbed shoulders. We communicate, right? So why, why do we persist in this message? Why do we persist? I gave you four, five things this morning. I gave you four. I gave you four. Because you're called to it, it's the truth of the gospel, so that it might remain with people, and because it changes people's lives. Now let me end with this scripture. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9. I want to, I want to kind of end it with this, because this kind of lays it down for us. Don't, do not be carried 
about with various and strange doctrines. Another Jesus, another gospel, one Paul didn't proclaim. Don't grab onto things that are strange. All right? Eat at the tree of life. That's a tree of responding to his voice only. For it is good that the heart be established in grace. When your heart is established in grace, you're unmovable. You are secure. You're strong in the faith. You're not tossed to and fro. You're not insecure. You're able to endure rejection from people. It's not going to throw you off base. And you begin to find the fulfillment and the spiritual gratification that maybe you looked for all your life. And heretofore, you might have said, I, I don't have a mission. I don't have a call. I don't have a purpose. I don't have a platform. We just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6, 26 to 31. You're just the dude. You're just the dudette that God's looking for. He's placed his message within you that you might live it and you might demonstrate it and be a part of this reformation that is taking place around the world, which will never be averted. We want to make sure it's not perverted. God bless. See you next time at the Digital Cathedral. And I'll finish this with four more reasons why we continue to expand and to hold fast to this doctrine, to this ministry, to this message that Paul taught. Amen. See you next time. Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our Digital Cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth, and for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.